Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. What seems uh, a long time ago, we began a series online whilst we were at level two, entitled The Spiritual Journey of a Godly Man, which is based on the life of Habakkuk. This is a document of a godly man's cry to God about what is happening in his nation and in the world around him. And he is worried about wickedness, injustice, oppression, and stuff that is simply wrong amongst his own people and across the world. And God answers him. We started to explore and discover that a book like Habakkuk may not give us the answers we want, but it will give us the answers that we need, that God sees everything, that God knows everything, that he never has, nor will he ever abandon his people. We, and in the end, we have to make a choice of whether or not we trust him or not. That's a very stark choice for us as Christians. And in so doing, learning that we can bring our questions, we can bring our doubts, we can bring our fears and uncertainties to him, and he is a safe place to offload those questions. Week two, we looked at Habakkuk's conversation with God and highlighted three simple points for us as, fellow, as followers of Christ. Tone. What does God sound like in our ears? Truth. Whatever the hard thing he may be saying or asking of us, he never lies. And thirdly, trust. In the end, what is it we actually believe about God? And then week three, we discovered that when life is uncertain and very unsure, Habakkuk made a decision to do three things in the midst of all that was going on around him. To wait, to watch, and to worship. And today we find ourselves in Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want to read the first 16 verses. It says this, the prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to Sheshana. That word is only mentioned twice in the the Bible, once here in Habakkuk and once back in Psalms chapter uh, Psalm 7. And if it says by your in your Bible that it's a musical term, actually it means lament. It actually means that it's a, a soulful request. It goes on and says, O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. God came from Timah, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. The brightness was like the sun. Rays came forth from his hand, where his power lay hidden. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed close behind. He stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The eternal mountains were shattered along his ancient pathways. The everlasting hills sank low. I saw the tents of Cushion under affliction. The tent curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, or your anger against the rivers, or your rage against the seas, or when you drove your horse and your chariots to victory? You brandished your naked bow, sated, with the arrows at your command. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. A torrent of water swept up. The deep gave forth its voice. The sun raised high 
its hands. The moon stood still in its exalted place at the light of your arrows speeding by, at the gleam of your flashing spear. spear. In fury, you trod the earth. In anger, you trampled nations. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. You crushed the head of the wicked house, laying it bare from foundation to roof. You pierced with your own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter us, gloating as if ready to devour the poor who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses and churning the mighty waters. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my steps beneath, or be, I tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. We are somewhere between 630 and 610 BC. And Habakkuk has seen his own people, the southern kingdom, go deeper and deeper and deeper into disobedience before God. And so as we come to this final chapter, this beautiful poetic book, we see one man's struggle against unrighteousness and evil. And as we enter chapter 3, we read his prayer, and it is a moving and exposed part of this book. It is the most open he is all throughout this book. He has done his wrestling and is arguing with God, and now he has made a decision, and his decision is that he will trust God, but he will also cry out to him. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our time, revive it. In our time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember your mercy. And the rest of the chapter is a commentary on these two verses, but chapter two in particular. All that flows from it, including the power of prayer, of trust, anticipation, which we will look at at a later date, comes out of verse two. These words in verse two are the beating heart of a godly, desperate man, not just for himself, but for his nation. And in therein lies a challenge and a lesson for us all, but that is for another day. The Hebrew word that is used here is a well-known word to us if we have been around church at all, and it means supplication. He is not crying out for himself. He's not praying all about me, all about I, or simply the things that affect his family needs, their requirements, their desires, or his immediate world, but he is playing, praying for his nation, crying out for his people, for fellow believers that are not living well and not living for God, praying out to God for his neighbors and his area in which he lives. He says, in your wrath, remember mercy. He does this and he has, gives us three indications of how he, as it were, lays out his life. He says, I have heard of your renown in your fame and your reputation. I stand in awe of your work and in wrath will you remember mercy. He builds this prayer on these three things. He said, I have heard of your reputation and I stand in awe. And please, he says, will you come and revive your work? <coughs> it's as if... Habakkuk stands and looks backwards. It looks as if he stands backwards and then he makes a decision. And then he stands as if he's looking at himself and he says, well, I am going to trust God. And then at the same time, he looks forward and he says, please, please don't judge us. 
So in this chapter, we have like three positions of this man. He thinks about his past, he thinks about his current posture, his current attitude, and then he looks forward and makes a plea. See, the past that he is unpacking from verses 3 to 16, and when we read it again, let's be honest, it can sound somewhat mysterious and doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Verse 3 says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Verse 4, raised from your hands. Verse 6, he stopped and shook the earth. I saw the tents of Cushan. What is he remembering? What is he talking about? It sounds more like Terry Pratchett than an Old Testament prophet. As he stands at one of the most dangerous times, the dangerous points in the history of the whole of his nation, he looks back into his past, their past, and he remembered something that changed their destiny forever. Here in these verses, he is remembering everything about the Exodus. This is Exodus language. He points back to a point, an event recorded in Exodus 12 and following, where God interacted with human history. He stepped into history and used Moses, as most of us will know, to lead his people, caught in Egyptian slavery for over 400 years, into freedom. God stepped into human history and did something wonderful and life-changing and turned a nation around. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, in the midst of not knowing what was coming next, Habakkuk looked back and he saw in his past a story of his people, of a God who was faithful, a God who was willing to intervene in their history, a God who was willing to intervene and shake the heavens and the earth in order to rescue his chosen people. This gives Habakkuk hope that God can and will do the same again, that the God who intervened once can intervene again and cries these words, I have heard of your renown and stand in awe of your work. If, we, if you get to read verses 3 to 16 more slowly than I read it today, you will begin to see that this all fits together. He recounts the great story of God delivering his people. Just going to go through some of it very, very quickly. The word Taman, referenced in verse 3, in Hebrew means the south or southwards. And he is, when he is writing this poem, he is looking directly south to where he was speaking and thinking of. Some argue that historically there was a place called Taman, but here the word is re referencing the south. Why? As I said, this is Exodus language, and as he looked south from where he was, that is the very way the children of Israel would have traveled out of Egypt into the promised land. They came up from the south. In verses 4 and 5, we read that the brightness was like the sun, as rays come forth from his hands, and then before him went pestilence and plague. The story we are reading here is of a God who sent pestilence, a God who sent plagues, a God who intervened, a God who led them and appeared on a mountain with fire, with thunder and lightning. This is a familiar story, and Habakkuk is looking back and says, his God intervened. His God rescued us. It is part of our story. It is part of our heritage. It is where we have come from. And I am not going to forget it, even in the midst of uncertainty. No matter what we see 
all around us. When everything around me is shaking and unsure, I'm going to look to my past. I'm going to recount this story that gives me hope and confidence, and I'm going to hold on to it. Verse 6 says, he stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Mountains, or a mountain in Hebrew theology and in the Hebrew Bible, talks to us of foundations. That's what they reference. They speak of things that are unmovable, things that are secure. We read about things being shaken and mountains being shaken by God in at least four places. Exodus 19, 18 says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. Psalm 18.7 says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Just put those two other references there. In all of these four examples, the writers use the examples of mountains to say, God is stronger than even the mountains, that he sits under the very foundation of the earth, and when he wants to intervene in history, when, it, when he wants to flex his muscles, he can do it, and everything is going to be shaken and stirred, and everything can be totally different. Even those things to the Hebrew mind that you think are unmovable, unchangeable, they are nothing to God if he decides to flex his muscles. How powerful is his word. Verse 7, I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The tent curtains of the land of Midian trembled. This is the area where the Israelites camped in Exodus 15 and Joshua 2 in the, in the Exodus narrative, and they have stories around that that he is alluding to. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, or your anger against the rivers, or your rage against the sea, when you drove your horses, your chariots to victory? Obviously here, because we're in the Exodus story, talking about the Nile and the seas and the rivers being shaken. God shook the Nile and it turned to blood. God helped them cross the Red Sea and when they were leaving, when they were leaving Egypt. And when they were a little bit further down, God stopped the waters of the River Jordan so that they cross, that God is in control of even the waters. They obey him. We have the privilege of looking back they don't have this, they don't have the foresight that we are able to look back and see that Jesus walked on water. Our Jesus turned water into wine. Everything is completely under his submission and his dominion. But here again, Habakkuk looks back as he sees them being brought about by the command of the Almighty God. He says here in verse 11, that the moon stood still in its exalted place, at the light of your arrows speeding by, at the gleam of your flashing spear. Here he is looking back to a victory again that only God could do by stopping the sun and the moon in the skies. Joshua 10 tells us this. On the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord and he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in mid-heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. He is reminding his people of the incredible goodness to God. He looked to his past as he was hopeful for his future. 
And you know, we can do this. You and I today can do the very same thing that the prophet Habakkuk has already done. Do we ever stop and take time to understand God's intervention in our own stories? Do we ever take time to see what God has done in the past and what we have been up against or what the nation has been up against and God has intervened? The stories recorded in Scripture when God intervened and revealed His great purposes and plans. But not only in Scripture, but when He also intervened and turned things upside down in the lands where He has put us. You know, my own country of Wales... My home country can tell of incredible revivals in, 19, in 1859 and, of course, the Great Welsh Revival of 1904-05, which literally touched the world from a nation was less than two million people at the time. It birthed the greatest Pentecostal revival ever seen with over 100,000 documented conversions, an incredible community transformation. This is our God. This is what we can look back and say, God, we need you to do this again. Many of you will not know this, but again, in the Great Depression between 1923 and 1933, back in Wales, life was so bad. As a consequence, many politicians and many political writers at that day truly believed that if they put enough parliamentary candidates up at the next election, the Communist Party would win all the seats of Wales. So was the consequence of the Great Depression. What only stopped it, what only not only held it in check and pushed it back, many historians believe was the preaching of a former physician to the king by a gentleman called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many people were swept into the kingdom and a nation that could have gone communist was turned around by the preaching and a visitation of God. Here in New Zealand, we have incredible stories of God intervening and revealing himself in power. In the early 1920s, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through the work of Ratner. If you've not read it, incredible story to read. Smith Wigglesworth, 1922, packed out Wellington Town Hall, which seated well over 3,000 people. It is estimated that when Billy Graham came here in 1959, conservatively estimated that 375,000 people went to his rallies. That was when New Zealand's population was 2.3 million and not a team of 5 million. You know, the charismatic renewal of the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s was so incredible that it turned so many people's lives upside down in this nation. This, there is a story in our lands of God's hand at work and God's raising up of people and moving by his power. Why do we remember these things? I'm pleased you ask. Because when we face lean times and tough days that sometimes even go into years, when we stand in uncertainty and we see moral, ethical, and spiritual uncertainty and decay all around us, and we wonder, God, what is going on? We can do like Habakkuk. We can look back. We can read and hear of a story when God has been at work and it encourages us to believe for what he can do today, tomorrow, and in the future. That the God who has been at work in our stories will do it again. What 
We do when we feel discouraged, covered by despair and sadness grasps us and uncertainty is before us that we stand and we remember and we say, Lord, I have heard of your fame. What God has done in our lives, in your life, in my life, as followers of Christ, we need to look back sometimes at our own story and see what he has done. The very fact that some of us are here today is a miracle and an absolute tribute to God that he has kept us thus far. You might say, Chris, I'm, I'm in a rough place right now. Well, many of us might be in a rough place right now. But we need to make a choice to remember the goodness of God or not. And this is what Habakkuk 3 is all about. The God who saved us, who rescued us, the God who loves us, comforts us, and carries us. The same God who spoke promises to us has not changed. You know, this same God who, if, it hadn't been, if he hadn't been, I should say, in our lives, our lives would be total confusion and probably shipwrecked. Many of us would be in incredible messes, confused, destitute, lonely, maybe even bankrupt, unrestrained, promiscuous, and much, much more. But he is in our lives. And we have not only heard of, our fame, of his fame, but he has saved us and he has rescued us from so much, especially ourselves. But he has not changed. I have heard, begs the question, where did he hear these things? <clears throat> the answer is clearly, in my opinion, from the community of faith around him. You know, it's trendy today to say that you don't need church. We do. It's trendy to say you can do God without church and never engage in community without a faith community. You can't. Being part of a faith community is important because in the moments I can't pray for myself, I can ask someone to pray for me or be hugely encouraged when someone says, you know, I have been praying for you. That in the moments that I lose sight of God's grace and presence, I am reminded by someone in the congregation or in a connect group that God is good and he is good all the time and that he has not abandoned us. The cry of a desperate heart remembers our past. Let us remember our own story. And then he goes on. It's much shorter, this part. He postures himself in worship. He says, I stand in awe of your work, of your work. He didn't posture himself in cynicism or bitterness or groaning or disbelief. He didn't posture himself with a bad attitude or an attitude of entitlement that says anything else apart from, I am in awe of who you are. I want to ask us today, what is our posture towards God and the things that he holds dear? Maybe we're apathetic, maybe we're indifferent, maybe we're just angry at him. May I ask that we consider that we have a posture of worship. I believe that one of the core messages of this book is that in tough times of discouragement and uncertainty, the writer holds for us a posture of faith, to stand with open hands to receive what God wants to do and what he wants to give us. If we go back to chapter one, he comes to God with his questions and God answers him and he just accepts what God says and he opens his hands towards him. In the midst of despair, 
in the midst of uncertainty, it is possible to posture ourselves and say, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy, and I stand in awe of your deeds. It's possible to have these postures together. You see, 70 to 80 years later, after this book was written, God transformed, literally transformed the fortunes of the world to set his people free. God changed the fortunes of the greatest empire so that his people could be set free. You see, the Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians, and they were led by a man called Cyrus, which many of you will have heard of. In 539 BC, he issued a decree that he was sending all the vassal countries, all the countries that he had conquered, back to their homeland on one condition, that they would pray for him to their God. One nation and one nation only, he decided that he would pay for them to go back and pay for them to rebuild their temple and he would provide them with all the materials that they needed. And of course, it was the Israelites. One of the greatest places to ever visit is the British Museum in London. And in one of the exhibition rooms, there's a clay cylinder called Cyrus's Cylinder. There were a number of them made at the time and they were dispersed throughout the then known world. And you can open it, or it's there open, and it tells you what it says, and it tells you exactly what I have just told you. In 539 BC, God intervened on behalf of his people. God reaches down into history to achieve his plans and purposes. And we must always be a people that despite our circumstances, posture ourselves in anticipation. Remembering our past, we look to our future with him. You see, when Habakkuk stood and looked back to remember, he sent his mind to the greatest event in Jewish history, which we said earlier, the, the Exodus. In the New Testament, Jesus appears on a mountain, and with him were Peter, James, and John. And they watched him being transformed. His ordinary clothes became dazzling white, and he was joined by two Old Testament figures, Elijah and Moses. One of the Gospels tells us that what they were talking about, it, it says what they were talking about, and Jesus talks to both Moses and Elijah about his departure. But the word he actually uses is the first century Greek word for exodus. He is talking about his exodus, which is about to happen. But this time, it's not just about the freedom of a certain group of slaves, but rather the exodus of the whole of mankind from death to life. Habakkuk 3 is a phenomenal, phenomenal chapter. And you know, and so we come. In wrath, will you remember mercy? The bread and wine that sits before us today is the story we all remember. As Habakkuk looked back, we look back to an exodus. He looked back and remembered God's intervention that God has set us free. Today we come and we remember that Jesus has set us free. That we remember, we call to mind our story that happened when Jesus died for us on the cross. Musicians, if you could join me, that'd be great. So today, as we come, we look back beyond what God has done for us in our lives, whatever he's done for us in history. 
We look back before the Reformation. We look back before the early church fathers. We look back even before the early church and we remember our exodus and we come to the cross and we come to the table. And in so doing, I'd like to encourage us to posture ourselves like Habakkuk. We look back at his goodness and our story within that narrative. Secondly, we renew our trust. We say, God, I don't have it all together, but I am going to trust you. And that thirdly, we look forward to a future hope that one day he is coming and we will be with him forever. For when we come tired, battered, bruised, and broken with whatever is going on around us and to us, we remember our past, that Jesus Christ set us free on a cross, that the exodus, his exodus, happened for us. His blood has been placed on our lives, and we have been set free from sin, sin and shame, fear, and death. And nothing can change that event. Jesus paid it all, setting us free. You see, our lives are transformed now because our story is rooted in his story. His story is rooted in the exodus of the cross, his body broken and his blood shed for us. And we come this morning and we remember. And in so doing, we need to posture our lives with expectation and possibility and a sense that God is with us. Allowing ourselves to look back to the exodus, knowing that he has won the victory for us and nothing is greater than he has done for us. And so as we come to communion this morning, will the servers please come forward? <coughs> Next, guys. Let's do that with the reality that our past is firmly part of his story. That our present, he is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that one day we have a future hope that is going to be fulfilled and we're going to spend eternity with him. Let's all stand together, please. I'm going to pray. If you're seated from the, roughly the sound desk back, then please can you go to the back where you'll get your emblems. They'll be served to you. If you are obviously the rest, the front half, please make your way to this aisle or to this aisle. Come down and please, you will be served. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for what it means to be a child of God today, that we are free, that we have been set free, we are forgiven, we are pardoned, and that we are yours. And as we come to the table, we remember what Jesus did for us, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, that we may have eternal forgiveness and life with you. Father, as we come individually and yet corporately, May we be reminded afresh this morning of the majesty and the awesomeness of our story because we are part of your story. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.